Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Ruby Rogues podcast. Now, real quick, we are also doing a live stream. So if you're picking this up on Facebook, YouTube, or LinkedIn, um, yeah, we went live. So anyway, um, yeah, this week we're going to be talking about Hotwire. But before we get started, let me introduce our panel. We have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. We also have Valentino Stoll. Hey, now. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. Got big stuff coming up this month. Uh, we also have a special guest this week, and that is Yaroslav Shmarov. I think I got close on your name. Yeah, that was quite good. Yaroslav Shmarov. Uh, nice to meet you That's guys. That's what I Hello. said. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, yeah. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? I mean, we, we met at Rails World. I, I can point that out, but yeah. So my name is uh, Yaroslav Shmarov. I'm from uh, Ukraine. I've been working for Ruby on Rails for around like eight years now. And uh, I uh, created a few Ruby on Rails courses on Udemy, Gumroad. And also I have a YouTube channel named Super Rails where I release a lot of different uh, content uh, about like how to do different stuff with Ruby on Rails and um, a lot of stuff with the Hotwire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were speaking at Rails World about Hotwire and uh, yeah some exciting stuff that was announced there. Um, but yeah, do you want to just uh, jump in and kind of, I think we've talked about stimulus in some parts of Hotwire, but do you want to just talk about kind of in general what Hotwire is for people who aren't familiar with it and then we'll dive in and um, talk about why to use it and all that good stuff? Yeah, so uh, Hotwire is basically a server-side uh, rendering technology uh, and uh, in a way it's... Uh, the child of uh, uh, js.erb, uh, I would say, and uh, Turbolinks. So, like, Turbolinks have turned into TurboDrive. JS.erb uh, has been uh, uh, depreciated and kind of, I would say, renamed into TurboStreams. And uh, there are some new stuff like uh, Strada that I haven't tried yet, mm-hmm. and uh, TurboFrames that is something like completely new, nothing that I have seen before. And uh, Stimulus is, uh, in a way, uh, uh, what we would be using instead of uh, jQuery in the, our in our era, <laughs> in our times. Right. So, yeah, it's like uh, the shortest uh, introduction by like familiarities that I can uh, make. Yeah, I, I know we've talked in the past about different aspects of Hotwired. Is everybody here using the whole stack or are you just using different pieces of it? I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm all over the place. <laughs> right. I use yeah, pieces I'm, of it and full for some things. Okay. I'm I'm kind of halfway in. I've been playing with stimulus. Um I haven't quite figured out turbo yet. Um I mean I pull in turbo links on my apps and it, you know, does magic to make it better but um yeah for the rest of it I, I haven't picked up all the all the other pieces i'm looking forward to it though so um yeah wh- where do you guys want to start with talking about uh stimulus or or turbo or hot wired I, I think now that i've asked the question i think i'm going to answer it um why why do people want to use it i mean we've got amazing tools out there like react and angular and Vue and Svelte and whatever. So, so why? Why Hotwired? Because it's not Angular, React, Vue, Svelte. 
So um, what's the what's the advantage? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, uh, to me, it's the a tool that is uh, easy to learn and uh, this kind of well integrated into the Rails framework. So, like the barrier barrier of entry, the barrier of learning is kind of lowered if you are a Rails developer, and uh, the general amount of knowledge that you need to have is uh, lower. So like React is a giant framework where like you can spend uh, a long time learning it, whereas uh, Hotfire is uh, really simple and uh, it's just a few tools that uh, have a few use cases and you can do like uh, maybe 80% uh, of what you would be doing uh, normally with uh, React. But uh, usually this 80% will be like more than uh, enough for 90% uh, of the applications. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I found about bringing in external dependencies, let's say you do bring in React into a project, it's not going to be a first-class citizen in what you are doing, but you just need some highly interactive components. So you bring in React, you build in those components, and you move on. Well, as time goes on, are you going to spend the effort to keep those external dependencies updated? React is one of those really large libraries that could introduce security concerns into your application if you're not careful and if you're not keeping it updated. So are you going to have efforts to maintain that over the years, even though it's not a primary class within your application? Or are you going to use something that's shipped by Rails, compatible with Rails by default? I mean, very little configuration or things you have to do otherwise. And you're going to keep that updated because you are heavily invested in it within your application. Yeah. One, one other thing that I'm just going to drop in here with is that, um, and I, I know the React people are going to be like, well, you can do this with JSX, right? Where I, I like just writing my HTML and then saying, okay, this is the behavior I need around it, right? And yeah, you get some of that with JSX, but um, yeah. Rails renders the HTML just fine. I don't have to go and reinvent some back-end server-side rendering for it because Rails does that, right? And so then I can just drop the what I need on top of it. And that that's really what I like about the approach in Hotwired is that I can, you know, I pull in stimulus and I get the interactivity that I want. Um, I can pull in some other library and get whatever else that I want. You know, I can pull in Turbo and I can reload different parts of the page in different ways. And, you know, I don't have to go and worry about what what's it doing on the back end? What's it doing on the front end? And if you're if you're paying attention to the React community right now, they're having a ton of heartburn over React server components. And the React server components are server-side rendered. They have server-side only functionality. And so there's a breaking change almost depending on how you approach them because you have to now account for them if you're going to use them at all. And with Rails or, you know, with HTML and then Hotwired, you just render your page and then you tell it what it cares about. And so, um, yeah, you know, Dave, you're talking about the, the issues. These are issues that they're dealing with right at the moment. So, Yeah. And interacting with other React components, you know, if you've had to build something very in-depth, you know, take a shopping cart where there are so many different components on a single page. They're all kind of related to each other. 
the number of items in the cart, your totals, the prices for the quantities, all of that stuff, trying to pass the state around is really annoying in React. And it's actually oh, yeah. not too bad in Rails. There, You have a lot of different approaches. Uh, with just using Turbo alone and Stimulus, or you could get real fancy and use the stimulus outlets that is now in stimulus too, which is like super awesome. I've had to use that a handful of times. Whereas a year ago, I was like, maybe we would have to bring React in for this kind of thing. Well, I uh, have the impression that React uh, and like this front end frameworks became so dominant because uh, uh, in many cases you, you needed to have a mobile app. So uh, you would uh, still need to like uh, be creating the uh, API endpoints. So uh, why not just like have uh, uh, Rails uh, for the API and like React uh, for the web and for like mobile? And uh, now uh, I think that uh, with like uh, Turbo Native with uh, Strata, the need. Uh, to ever have uh, React uh, will be lower because, like, you, you can do mobile apps with uh, uh, Rails and Hotfire. So, uh, and one last yeah. reason to think of uh, having React, and uh, also, uh, like, if if you're just starting a hobby project, uh, I think it's much easier to do it with uh, uh, like Rails and Hotfire. Just the development speed will be faster than like uh, if you start building out the uh, API endpoints, uh, deciding to use like REST API or GraphQL, most likely GraphQL, mm-hmm. and uh, building like the React front. And it'll just be faster if you do a small hobby project, uh, like indie project, whatever, with uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rails and Hotfire. I, I have so much to say to that. So um, <laughs> on the... The Turbo Native and Strata stuff, we're having Joe Mazzalotti come on next week. And he's going to be talking to us about that stuff. And and he does. He basically turns people's Rails apps into mobile apps, which is cool stuff. So so we'll get into that. So stay tuned. Um, as far as the rest of it goes, um, I'm creating an API. And so I may as well have a front end that consumes it as well as a mobile app. Um, I've talked to a number of people that, reasoned it out that way and then didn't have it come out that way in practice right it turned out to be a lot more work to manage two consumers of the same api than it would have been if they had just had you know a a web rendering component like rails and then had the api where you needed it for the the mobile app even if you were going to do a full native mobile app that relied on an api so um i i don't hear people saying that as much anymore as i used to um, because it just hasn't panned out that way. Uh, the one notable exception to that that I do see sometimes is um, people who have an app that's uh, simple enough to where they can basically use the same uh, code base for both React and React Native. Occasionally, I'll run into somebody and it's like, yeah, we had to do minor tweaks to make it work. But even then, most of the people are doing one or the other when they try and backport it to the other. It just doesn't pan out that way. And so, um, and then you brought up GraphQL, which is like, I, I remember when it came out and I was like, this is really cool. And now it's turned out to be my least favorite way to build an API because it's such a giant pain in the, in the, on the back end. Like on the front end, it's so nice, right? You set up, uh, 
Prisma server or something, and you go consume it, and it's like, this is what I want. And it's like, here you go, right? But if you're trying to build it into Rails, oh, oh, Lord, just shoot me now. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's no fun. So, yeah. Um, well, I, mean, I think a lot of the, re- the reasons are just not there to, to go all the way to React. I mean, React was developed in Facebook. It's like a giant yeah. company with uh, thousands of devs, and it mm-hmm. was uh, developed with like the separations of uh, developer responsibilities. Like this, uh, this is the front end team. This is the back end team. This is the whatever team. So, uh, like, uh, it's really created by a giant organization with uh, like having lots of uh, developers in the team uh, in mind. So, uh, like, I know if you're not planning to have, uh, like, a few hundred developers, uh, uh, I would consider, like, starting a new project uh, uh, without React. And uh, if you really need it, then uh, do React uh, when you already have the resources and uh, enough employees. You know, I'm I'm really torn on that point. (laughs) Because, you know, it's great. Like, Rails developers are expensive. (laughs) It's it's great if you Thank do you. it all yourself, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and and we can do definitely do a lot more thanks to Turbo, right? Uh, but I think one of the the key reasons people have that separation to begin with is just like the cost of developers, <laughs> and you know if they can differentiate and slice up the developer pie into their you know componentized. Uh, areas of specialty, specialty, right? Like even like mm-hmm. data engineers, right? Like are their own like special <laughs> segment of the the programmer like company, right? <laughs> if if you're just if we're just creating software companies, yeah, Rails is great to get like off the ground. It's a hundred percent true, and like really quick to iterate on. Like you're saying, like all these points are so true. And at Hotware, I love to see because you're right. One less thing you need to do to, to work and iterate. Uh, but I worry like about after that, <laughs> like where it leads after that, like, you know, more rails developers doesn't necessarily like translate from it. Right. Like we still have all these front end specific roles that will be available and we'll need to transition into, right. As a, as the app starts to get more reactive, like I like sure like Hotwire in the long term maybe, can tie to every piece of the DOM and and the browser, uh, you know, APIs. <laughs> but I, I feel like in the the near term, <laughs> it's more split still, right? And we're almost like creating an API on top of, uh, you know, a, a stack that is, uh, you know, already its own specialty. <laughs> That's what I worry about. And I I don't know what, what your feelings are on that specific, like if you've noticed like, oh, now that I'm working, you know, exclusively with Hotwire, like, is it easy for people to come in and and help out? Um, I mean, uh, Hotwire is quite easy to pick up. So uh, I've had the uh, Rails developers uh, join uh, my team that uh, have uh, Rails experience but don't have Hotwire experience. And uh, it really takes like, uh, I don't know, a small amount of time to pick up. So, like, uh, if you have a Rails developer that joins the team and, like, he doesn't know React, that's a problem. But uh, if you need him to do something in React, but if you need him to do something in Hotfire, you can just watch a few of my tutorials and... (laughs) 
and we'll be good to go. I think it also depends on how we develop them. Because if we make super massive stimulus controllers that are thousands of lines long, that's unmaintainable from any way you cut <laughs> True. it. So, but then also if you go too far the other way, where you have one DOM element that has 15 different stimulus controllers attached to it, then you also have a mess. So I think you have to strategically design them in a way that is maintainable. Just because it's easy to use and it's included in Rails doesn't mean that we can't screw it up as developers. So I think that's the biggest thing that we have to be cautious about. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, I would say, classic problem uh, I would be thinking of when developing a stimulus controller. Should I develop it for this specific page? Like, uh, or am I going to have it reusable? Like, this will be a one-feature controller or will I... Do I have to like uh, the effort in making it reusable so that I can use it in other places? Yeah, and I think that's something where I shoot myself in the foot too often. It's like, ooh, I could use this stimulus controller for this or that. Instead of like, in reality, no, it only ever got used in this one spot. So all the level of extraction that I did was kind of a wasted effort and added bloat to that controller. But in the event that I ever do need it, it wouldn't have been that bad to then just change it at that point. So, Yeah, I have to say, the thing that I'm really liking as far as stimulus and stimulus controllers go is I've been reworking top-end devs. Um, it's very tailwind, um, front-end centric, right? And I paid for tailwind UI. That gives me the UI, unless I want to use Reactor View, in which case it gives me JavaScript too. And so I've been building in like the fade in, fade out and, you know, all the transitions and things like that um, with stimulus, right? And so I just have the effect. And the nice thing is, is that if I want that little effect for the toggle, instead of a check mark, I have a little toggle uh, component and I'm just using view components in Rails, um, right? So I just put the, the toggle controller on it and it does the right thing every time. Or, you know, if you click on uh, something that drops a menu down, right? And I don't have too many places that do that, but there are a couple. And so you click it and it drops it down. And um, I could just pull in a transitions library uh, off of, uh, in, in import maps. I was going to say off of NPM, but it kind of is and kind of isn't. But using import maps, right? And so then stimulus just includes it or imports it and then runs it and it does the right thing again, right? And so I'm just setting data um stuff on my pieces of my UI and it does the right thing and so it's nice to be able to just drop in these little pieces that have those little bits of um functionality on those and yeah i could see where yeah you have six data controllers on one element or something crazy like that but um for these smaller concerns i'm really really loving it <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a uh, a spider crawling on my screen here. <laughs> it's kind of it crawled across your camera. <laughs> distracting. Yeah. <laughs> is that a real spider or it's a real it spider? Like, okay. <laughs> I'm just moving them over. Yeah, I was also wondering. It was like, you know, there are all these kind of reactions that you can now add the like, yeah. bubbles and such stuff. <laughs> Halloween was this week, I'm just saying. I know. That's why I was confused. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> New effect. Sorry. 
Yeah, my bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Charles, yeah. As, and the, is Topen Devs a Rails app or is it just like static site uh, generated? It's Rails. Because the cool thing about Hotfire is that you can kind of uh, use it uh, mm-hmm. without uh, like uh, Rails and just with like aesthetic side. Right. So you could do it on Bridgetown or something. Yeah. I think Bridgetown uh, has uh, Hotfire uh, like built in. So you can do like some uh, transitions using it. Yeah. There's so even PHP people adopting Hotwire. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of crazy. But. Yeah, yeah, the I issue that like... I had with the static site generator was it was fine for me to use and you know do markdown and whatever I was going to do, but it was an issue for my non-technical folks that work for me to use it. And so, if I build a form in Rails and say go nuts, they do the right thing. So, anyway. But yeah, it's Rails, and then I'm putting stimulus on, or so far I've put stimulus on the front end. I'm still working on uh, figuring out uh, Turbo and some of the other pieces there, but yeah. Oh, and it's also cool that there are like new developments happen, happening all the time in uh, Hotwire. So, like, there is uh, this Turbo Morph that is coming uh, so that you will be able to write like less uh, Turbo streams and uh, just like. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an even more smart way than the Turbo Drive does it, to like replace uh, the page, but not the parts of the page that you don't want to replace. Or like, uh, as Dave mentioned, the stimulus outlets, then like Strata that has been just released. So like the technology is really evolving and the new features have been like pushed in all the time. Yeah. And the view transitions is also really cool. I did an episode on that one. I wasn't sure about my implementation of it, but there was someone at Rails World I saw the video of where uh, it was someone from Evil Martians, Vladimir, and uh-huh. he was showing off the view transitions where basically you can keep one element on the page and then shift it around based on what you're doing. So you click oh, on nice. like an album and then it moves the little thumbnail up to the larger side. It's kind of a trickery how it does it. It takes a screenshot of before and then after the render and then kind of like morphs the image up. <laughs> so, um, but it's still really cool that we can do that kind of thing fairly easily with a stimulus controller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there's this website, rubyvideo.dev, that uh, Adrian Polly has been building where there is like. Uh, Lots of uh, conference talks uh, from uh, all the possible years, from all possible speakers, and uh, they're also using view transitions, so you can uh, see it as a demo there. But uh, I'm kind of hesitant to try view condition uh, view <laughs> transitions uh, until it is uh, available uh, in places outside of Chromium-based uh, browsers. I think it um, will gracefully fail. So other users wouldn't just see that transition. Mm-hmm. But I think the API right now is very clunky from Google. So I'm kind of waiting for it to become a bit more user-friendly before I adopt it more wide stream. So is this a feature in Turbo? Not really. It's uh, It was a Google release or in Google Chrome or Chromium. And 
you can use it within a stimulus controller. You know, just kind of tap into okay. their APIs. I got gotcha. you. Uh, okay. If uh, I'm not mistaken, there was uh, some kind of PR or something to like uh, add uh, it as a feature into Turbo. I hope so. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> I saw a couple of blog posts that said that people were using it with Turbo. So, so do do we want to kind of break down what Turbo, uh, Stimulus, and Strata do? Because I think um, I think we all have used them enough to kind of get the idea. But um, I'm sure there are some people out there who either haven't used them or may have used like Turbo Links or Turbo Drive without having really touched. You know, turbo frames, turbo streams, turbo native, that kind of a thing. Um, yeah. So, uh, Hotfire has uh, a few components. The first component is Turbo, uh, and itself it has a few components. It's a Turbo Drive that was uh, uh, previously Rails UJS plus uh, Turbolinks. And uh, like uh, Turbolinks and Rails UJS have been depreciated, and the features have been moved into Turbo. Uh, drive. So when you have like data turbo confirm or uh, it, uh, yeah, what else? Okay. Uh, like so, yeah. Like you know, you could uh, click on the delete button, and there would be a model popping up uh, mm-hmm. saying, "Are you sure you want to do it?" This was uh, a feature in Rails UJS. Then uh, it was uh, moved into Turbo Drive. Uh, so Turbo Drive is like the turbulence thing that kind of. Uh, replaces uh, parts of the page uh, on uh, that uh, should be replaced and uh, like it uh, kind of makes it look as if there's no full page uh, refresh so it's the maybe like oldest feature there was then the next part is uh, turbo streams and uh, i would divide them also into two parts so turbo streams uh, broadcasts and uh, turbo streams uh, via http so the ones that are via http it's uh, like uh, you send a request to the controller and it responds with the format dot uh, stream and uh, you can basically like find a few elements on the page with like this idea this idea this idea and like replace them or update them or remove them so it's more or less the same that you would be doing previously with the js.eib format but uh, like better syntax then uh, tubo streams broadcasts it's uh, basically Using action cable, using web, using web sockets, and uh, like all, you basically send these updates to all the browsers that uh, have uh, this page on. So uh, the most classic example is like a live chat. Uh, whenever somebody types a message, he uh, sends the message to the controller, and the controller sends it uh, to everybody who is uh, listening to uh, the, the response. Uh, yeah. Then, so, uh, mm-hmm. let, hang on. I, I've got a couple of questions about the this piece, and 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 to be perfectly honest, I haven't really used it. So, um, a lot of times, what I wind up doing is I will put a stimulus controller in, and I'll say, "Hey, if this changes, then call this function." Right? You do that through the stimulus controller, right? Then you give it a click event. It, I, I hate trying to talk about code on these shows. Um, but you know, you do click arrow and then write whatever controller function, and then it calls the function. And that function, in a lot of cases, what I'm doing is I'm either 
using the Rails UJS library or I'm using just uh, the Fetch API. Well, usually I'm using the Fetch API. Um, but I'll go and I'll say, okay, I need to update this other part of the screen and then I'll do that through stimulus. Um, so with turbo streams, I wouldn't have to do that. I just set up a web socket and say, you know, oh, um, this, this is the change I need or whatever. Or is that something completely different? Oh, uh, so, uh, what you're describing about using stimulus, usually I would, uh, try, uh, if possible, not to invoke controller actions, uh, using stimulus, uh, uh like there are some cases where you need to do it for example like mm-hmm. you have uh, like drag and drop so uh, like right. drag and drop happens in stimulus and uh, like you would be maybe using request js uh, uh, to make a request with the data from like the uh drag event uh, to a rails mm-hmm. controller but uh, in most cases uh, like let's say you click uh, uh, create post. It mm-hmm. uh, goes to the create action. The create action uh, uh, says uh, remove the element with the ID uh, new post and uh, uh, add the, uh, this post to on, on top of the element with the ID posts. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say there's like quite different things for different use cases. Yeah. I think the litmus test, Chuck, is do you need that updated record to broadcast live to everybody else who is on that page? Okay. And if the answer is no, then you don't need the turbo broadcast. If the answer is yes, then you need to set up a long polling or simply just use the broadcast. Okay. Well, what about the turbo stream then? So how how is that different from what we're talking about here? Uh, basically, with Turbo Streams, uh, you have uh, two options uh, via HTTP. Do you want the uh, update to be visible uh, right away only to you, or via like uh, web sockets, action cable, broadcast, whatever you name it? Uh, do you want okay. uh, everybody to see the update? So, if I just want to see the update, then I it, I don't send it back as a broadcast. I just send it back to the person who took the action on the stream. Yeah, so uh, like the controller responds with the uh, not format HTML but format Turbo Stream, and inside format Turbo Stream, you would have something like uh, uh, find element with this ID and replace it uh, with uh, this partial. Okay, so I'm still running it through a stimulus controller. Uh, not necessarily. Okay, so if you have a form, just a normal form Uh that you have a post button, then you don't need to broadcast the changes back to yourself because the turbo screen, it's really kind of like the JSCRB where you, but in this case, you have the option to do a prepend, append, replace, or um, remove, Uh and you pass in the ID element that you're wanting to manipulate. Okay. And then in the rendered HTML that's coming back to the browser, it's going to have a, a, a template, which a template is an HTML template, which mm-hmm. is not viewable on the screen, but then whatever ID you had selected will then replace, append, remove, 
whatever okay. that ID was. Um, but here's a pro trick that I learned a few months ago that I absolutely love because there's been several times where I call a controller action and I actually need to update three different elements on the page, three completely separate ones. Mm-hmm. And you could actually do a turbo stream uh, uh, respond and pass in an array of multiple turbo streams. So you can do like a, an append, append, and then also a remove. And then the JavaScript on the browser side will trigger all of those and execute them. Uh, you mean you can have like an array of turbo streams inside the controller? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, what I was doing for the first uh, year of using the tool. But uh, in many cases, uh, I would prefer actually having the template. So like uh, great.turbostream.erb. And uh, that way uh, you are more versatile with the response. So like you don't even have like some kind of custom HTML and uh, not just like the name of partial or, uh, or actually have the HTML inside your controller. Uh, and actually, if you go to like the discussions in the uh, Tubo repository, uh, a couple of years ago, there was uh, like the guy who uh, first found this trick of like having uh, how how to like have the right syntax for an array of Tubo streams mm-hmm. in the controller. And DHH was like discouraging that like uh, it's not the, the the way we intend to use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I agree with DHH on many things. We might disagree on this one. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, absolutely. If you need to do something a bit different than what you can do within the controller, but if I can keep the visibility all in the context of that controller action, and if it's not crazy long, you know, if it's reasonable size, then I would still prefer to do it there. Yeah, I completely agree. So does this speed up your pages in the same ways that uh, TurboLinks did, where it, you know, would only re-render, yeah, would only re-render the parts that you care about. In this case, you're you're kind of controlling that a little more directly. It's not doing a diff on your page, right? Yeah, you can exactly like say that this is the element that should be removed or like this is the partial that should be added uh, on top of uh, the div with this ID. So uh, like the turbo streams, you have laser sharp uh, control of what you mm-hmm. want to change with this uh, response. And yeah, then this is actually one thing I really love about the whole <laughs> turbo framework is it like basically decouples like what you want to broadcast to the page from the page. And so it's like, mm-hmm. all right, the DOM is just listening. And then, you know, as it gets stuff, it swaps things out specifically where it's listening at, right? Yeah, and depending on how you're calling it, if you're calling it from a stimulus controller, which ideally, uh, as Yaroslav was saying, you shouldn't do or try avoid doing, you can add a layout false to that action to prevent the entire HTML with the layouts rendering as well. And it'll save a ton of time if your layouts are pretty complicated. Not again, there are some cases where you it's impossible not to like uh, have a response from the stimulus controller. So, uh, again, like if you're doing some kind of drag and dropping, then mm-hmm. 
you, you would need to call the controller from the stimulus. Mm -hmm. But it's yeah. like... Uh, That's one of the pieces that I've built is, yeah. Hold in, what is it, draggable JS or something? Oh, uh, yeah, there are a few of them. Yeah. But uh, usually I would like uh, go kind of layer after layer. So first I kind of uh -huh. build a feature that uh, just works with HTML responses like uh, a, for example, table that you can search and sort. First I do it with mm -hmm. like uh, just HTML and uh, like each uh, click uh, on like sort or search or pagination is a, like full page refresh. It's uh, just like uh, respond with format HTML. Then like next step would be to use turbo frames to replace uh, part of the page. Uh, if uh, this is not enough, if I need to like uh, change the counter on the top of the page uh, re results here and something else in another place, uh, then turbo streams. And uh, if I need to add some kind of like select all elements or uh, like open selected elements in a new window, then uh, this would be stimulus. So like stimulus would be maybe the last uh, resort for like features that I cannot do with, uh, with other tools. I'm interested, uh, like, what now that you've been using stimulus like quite heavily, I imagine, right? <laughs> uh, have you noticed like there's some things in stimulus that, uh, you know, maybe they are done a different bit differently, but that, you know, why would you go back to any other way? Um, I didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> like, are, are there things in stimulus that you've found it to use frequently that you can't find in other frameworks or? Maybe they just work a little differently that you wouldn't do, uh, you know, another way anymore. In stimulus. Um, so uh, it's quite hard for me to compare like stimulus to other JavaScript frameworks because uh, all my career I've tried evading JavaScript frameworks as much uh, as possible. <laughs> and uh, like just writing uh, either like uh, vanilla JS or um, having no JS at all. So uh, I, I really can't uh, give a good comparison uh, for stimulus and like uh, stuff that is present in other frameworks. That's fair. I, I did want to leave a comment because uh, you, know, you were walking through quite a few like uh, demonstrations. Uh, I just love your, your cook, Hotwire cookbook that you have uh, that has all the pull requests with each different thing that uh, you can accomplish. Uh, it's pretty awesome. So we'll leave a, a link to the show notes so people can follow along. Yeah, actually, there are like uh, a lot of the examples inside the pull requests, but uh, some of them uh, are not present uh, there. Some of them are like uh, just in the videos that I have created. So you can also uh, check them out because like uh, some of them were basically taken too much time to have in a like one meaningful pull request inside the repository, but I might get to it sometime. Actually, this Hotwire cookbook, uh, 113 stars, it's like my most starred <laughs> repository so far. That's awesome. Well, I'll share it some more. Yep. So. Um, Oh, go ahead. 
yeah, gels. So you were saying you were using like uh, stimulus. Uh, uh, yeah. Dave, uh, I guess you've used like uh, all kinds of uh, all parts of Hotfire, like uh, a bunch. And what about you, Valentino? What's your experience with Hotfire? I mean, to be honest, I use it uh, frequently just to try out a bunch of new prototype stuff. <laughs> so I, I find it's just like very quick and easy because it's all there, right? I don't have to add any uh, JavaScript libraries or setup or anything. Um, so that's where been my experience is just like quickly prototyping something just like, oh, does this work? What's this look like kind of thing? One thing uh, I really enjoy is uh, that like it's a new framework that has been released just a couple of years ago. And uh, since the moment of its release, you really don't know uh, how uh, you can use it. Like, what are the use cases? What would you be able to do with it? What should you try to, and what should you try not to accomplish with it? And uh, I really felt like an explorer trying all kinds of uh, stuff, mm-hmm. uh, finding new it, it interactions, uh, new ways to use it. Like, I don't know. Uh, uh, one of my favorite ones is like inline editing fields. Somebody just like asked me on the Twitter, how can I do inline editing? I thought, oh, that's like such a great question. Really, I should try doing it. And like, I found a great way to do inline editing with Tubo frames and uh, just uh, just perfect. And uh, like five, six years ago, uh, there was a gem best in place that uh, you would use to accomplish this kind of behavior. And now, like, just a few lines of uh, tubo frames, and uh, it works perfectly. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to check that out. So, what else are you working on related to Hotwire? Oh, related to Hotwire. So, I mean, uh, at work, I uh, have to do quite some uh, Hotwire stuff. Then I've got, like, the videos... uh, uh, mm-hmm. some blog posts uh, and uh, like a whole list of uh, topics I still want to cover and like uh, hot wire use cases I uh, uh, kind of have uh, uh, have tried but uh, still need to put them into text and into video mm-hmm. so uh, like basically just uh, creating posts and creating videos about uh, what else I can do with hot fire and uh, one thing I really haven't tapped into is uh, uh, Strada, Tubo Native. Uh, I'll be uh, looking forward to listening to your episode with Joe to learn more about them. But uh, I really feel that like building mobile apps is the missing piece uh, of the puzzle for like uh, being able to do everything with Rails. Right. Makes sense. So um, are the new things that you're working on and I'm totally driving this transition over because I want to talk about it. Are these going to be on Super Rails? Uh, yeah. So uh, I've uh, currently got all my videos on YouTube. And uh, in the last couple of months, I've been working on building superrails.com. Where there'll be kind of the same videos as on YouTube, plus some uh, special content that will be available mm-hmm. only there. So uh, right. uh, yeah, working on it. Very cool. So I, I I have about a bazillion questions. I'll, I'll let these guys ask questions if they have any about super rails or whatever before I. Dive yeah, in. I mean, how do you how do you come to starting something like that? Like, are you just one day? Oh, like I should document my whole learning experience in, in video format, or like was there some motive behind it? What, um, what got you started with the whole thing? 
So uh, since I started learning uh, Ruby and Rails in 2015, I like bought a few Udemy courses. I was uh, trying to learn uh, some things via like blog posts, and especially with the Udemy courses, like uh, I saw that uh, it could be done better, but uh, I didn't have the like uh, skill needed. And uh, only around 2020, I uh, like I've I've like since I first bought my first Udemy course on Ruby, I always knew that like I want to create a better Ru- Ruby Udemy course. So in 2020, I already felt like confident enough with my skill and created the a Udemy course uh, that was named uh, uh, Learn 25 uh, Gems and Build uh, a Startup MVP. And the Startup MVP was a Udemy clone. So basically, like, you buy a course on how to build a Udemy clone on Udemy. <laughs> and, nice. uh, yeah, approximately at the same time, uh, I started uh, uh, writing blog posts about, uh, like, all the cool features uh, I've uh, recently uh, implemented. And uh, it's like, now I just look, why didn't I do it like a few years earlier? Like uh, there, is, there are so many examples that I could have uh, added. And even now, like there are so many examples in my drafts that I just can't uh, uh, turn into like a release state that like the example is good enough to like be an actual blog post that doesn't suck uh, to read. But like I started writing the blog and uh, I already had the Udemy course. Uh, I created a couple of more courses, and only after that, at some point of time, I decided to start a YouTube uh, channel. And uh, yeah, I've been doing like the YouTube channel for around two and a half uh, years now, and uh, it's uh, very like very emotionally rewarding because like I see that I'm uh, uh, helping people. Uh, but uh, only emotionally. (laughs) Yeah. So how big is the YouTube channel now? Uh, It's like uh, 6,000 people or so. Oh, nice. Uh, 6,800. Yeah. 6,800. Very cool. And uh, Dave, on your YouTube channel, you've got around like 15,000. Yeah, it's something around there. Um, I used to keep a really close eye on it. I'm like, but it was like watching wet paint dry. So <laughs> I, I stopped looking at it because uh, it could be very demotivate, demotivating if you don't see it spike up or climb the way you want it to. So I, I stopped. Um, before I was getting every notification of a Stripe payment come in, uh, I would get pinged on my phone and stuff. And I just turned it off uh, because cancellations also came through there and stuff. And that could be just very demoralizing. So I just focus on creating content and focus on, you know, just sharing that with the world. Cool. Love it. Funny, there's a uh, there's a very popular uh, article on like the challenges of being a, a YouTube influencer and how the YouTube algorithms are made in a way that make you feel bad for not generating new content, <laughs> <laughs> and that and the, how they like continuously say, oh, like if you generate more content, you know, like in the next day, then you can get X number of followers based on our right. <laughs> 
That's interesting. Oh, I mean, uh, looking at all the Rick and Rails YouTube channels, uh, the whole pool of like people that are ready to subscribe to a Ruby on Rails YouTube channel is like really limited. So I think the biggest channel has like mm-hmm. twenty five thousand subscribers or so. But uh, talking of YouTube and Super Rails, I really feel like there is a renaissance of like uh, content uh, about Ruby on Rails on YouTube. So like mm-hmm. 2018, 2019, there was like uh, hardly anybody creating any content except uh, Dave and uh, Chris. And now there are like so many people creating really different content. Like there is CJ Avila who is building like uh, uh, Rails related content that is like just after is interesting to him personally. And there can be like some mm-hmm. things that you would not uh, think of. Uh, like there's Danny and he's also like experimenting with uh, weird stuff that uh, I wouldn't usually look into. So like lots of people uh, trying out YouTube and uh, trying to teach something different uh, Ruby related. And that's really great. Yeah. I'm really glad that there's so much content being created for Ruby. I think that helps keep it alive, you know. Yep. <laughs> One thing I really hate is like uh, if you go to YouTube and you type like is Rails dead or is Ruby dead and like there are maybe 10 uh, like thumbnails of people like oh 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 <laughs> is it that should I use it? <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. So Israel's dead? No, I'm just kidding. Have you checked the website? <laughs> is, now I want to see if somebody has registered israelsdead.com. If not, I might no, go Chris buy it. Chris has his Ruby dead. I mean, it will be alarming if that website goes down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Somebody has... Oh, yeah. Learn Ruby on Rails with Go Rails, so Chris must own this one too. Yeah, and uh, Dave, you've been doing YouTube for like a decade now. It's it's been a long time. Um, it it was hard at first, you know, getting started and stuff. Initially, the feedback that I got from people was just horrible. Oh, like, really? Like the internet is just a bunch of mean people. So. Uh, I was accused, like, you know, is that really your voice or just a screen narrator? <laughs> like, or you sound very mono, monotone. I'm like, thanks for the tips. I don't know how to change that. So, um, but, but yeah, it's been a wild ride. And it's been a sacrifice too. You know, trying to come up with new content every week and stuff, it gets difficult after you're several hundred episodes in. And I've tried to memorize every episode that I've done so I don't overlap and stuff. It it becomes kind of crazy. Yep. Well, uh, I mean, uh, you might have done an episode in 2015 and uh, now you'd be doing the same thing differently. So uh, uh, this kind of things make sense. Yeah, maybe you have a month where you just rehash old episodes. There you go. <laughs> These are the top Revised. 10 episodes. Yeah. I have an interesting one coming out next week or this weekend for a free episode. It's on uh, AI spam detection. So I'm creating oh, cool. 
AI model, it's been trained on hammer spam. So it's a uh, label, spam if the text is bad, ham if it's good. And you plug it into an active job to check action text and it'll spit back whether or not it's spam or not. So you can prevent it from even being displayed on your forums if it's been detected as spam for human review. So AI is cool. cool. That's why I've been yeah. doing a lot lately. Yeah, that's actually a gem named Svea Jaw. And mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you kind of can plug it into your Rails app and uh, uh, like if there is like basically added as a helper around the uh, uh, post dot uh, body or like command dot body and it will uh, uh, replace the like uh, swear words with asterisks or something. So that's yeah. the most like simple solution. Um, a few years ago, I was working for a company that was doing like live streaming, and uh, like the audience could have a live chat, and uh, people would like to swear or like find ways to uh, swear so that uh, uh, Sverja is doesn't mute them. So they were looking for different ways, and <laughs> they were using some of like uh, a premium API service that was. Uh, uh, basically, each message was sent to that uh, API service, and they were returning the message with like uh, uh, OK status or uh, with blurred profanity status, or like completely impossible to post. But uh, I mean, the idea with AI might be cheaper. Yeah, uh, it's really neat. Um, I should turn it into a service, be an easy service. Like, actually, I was running it last night and. It takes 700 megabytes of GPU RAM to do 15 millisecond response times or oh, wow. using Apple Silicon, uh, still 700 megs of RAM for 50 millisecond response times or CPU base for 100 milliseconds. So Cool. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Talking about videos. So you actually like record one video per week or do you like do it maybe like five videos uh, in a row and then like do nothing for a month? I do it every week. Um, I plan on when I'm not feeling good or something, one week or something, I might try to hurry and double up so that I can still release on a schedule. Or if I'm planning holiday or something, then I'll double up uh, one week so I can still release on a schedule. But I think it's been... 2016, like early 2016, I've not missed a single week. I've released oh, wow. one episode every week. Well, me, I usually release something uh, just when I'm ready, or like when I feel that uh, this topic is completely ready in uh, my head. So uh, I don't have like a fixed schedule. I like try to do it often enough, like... Uh, uh, Sometimes it can be like three times a week. Sometimes it can be three times a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found for me, I have to create a schedule and be consistent with it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's too easy to start slacking off. So, yeah, that's a lot the same for me with the podcasts. So, but um, I'm working on putting up more stuff on YouTube both in the programming space and the podcasting space. And I'm dabbling, starting to push into the political space a little bit. 
And so my schedule is right now, what it's going to look like is I'm going to do a month's worth of one show one day. And then the next week, that same day, I'll do one month's worth of the other show. And so I will be batching them, but I'm still setting aside time every week to, you know, do a regular set of content, if that makes sense. Well, you guys have been doing it for so many years, so uh, I should definitely take it as a lesson <laughs> of consistency from you. It, I find that it makes it easier on the listener too, because then they don't have to come look and see if something new is out, or you know, wait for a reminder to get pushed onto them. Right? They just make it part of their routine, and so they, you know, we release. I think we release this show on Wednesdays, so people will listen on Wednesday morning or Thursday morning on their way to work. And I've, I've heard from a lot of people that it's just part of their routine. So anyway, I'm going to push this toward picks. It's uh, already uh one and I've got a seven year old who had her tonsils, tonsils out on Friday that I, she's begging me for more food. So I got to go find her something to eat. So let's go ahead and do some picks and then I will uh, go downstairs and appease the ravening children. Um, Valentino, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. Uh, I just received a, a particle photon too uh, in the mail, and uh, I got an Edge ML kit, which uh, they have like a way to uh, basically do machine learning on the Edge <laughs> and send oh, nice. real time uh, hardware analytics and events uh, to things using uh, the service called Edge Impulse, which is just like absolutely mind blowing awesome. Uh, so I, I, my two picks are uh, Edge Impulse and uh, the new Particle Photon. Awesome. If you want to drop links to those in the comments, they'll go out to YouTube and Facebook. Uh, Dave, what are your picks? I'm going to pick 8020. It is uh, basically aluminum extrusion. And before I had like eight or nine clamps around my desk holding up audio equipment or video equipment. And I got really tired of it because every time I would like bump the table, it would just like sit there and bounce and it was annoying. <laughs> so uh, I got aluminum extrusion and I built a desk truss system around the back of it. So now everything is just like slid in and clamped on there. Oh, nice. Now I want to see it. <laughs> so I've got a few. Too. Nice. I've got a few picks here. Uh, the first one is the board game pick. Um, and, uh, this week I'm picking first rat. Um, now first rat, what it is, is, uh, you, you all are colonies of rats. So you all have different colored rats. Um, and you're moving them up the board and collecting resources so that you can build a rocket and you're going to take the rocket to the moon because of course the moon is made of cheese. And so, um, but yeah, so you just play the board game and you it's it's one of those games where you're kind of uh building up resources and building up ability, but you can also go and collect items to, you know, up your score. And so you're you're kind of playing the the game of when do I stop building my engine and start building my points so that I can win. It was a lot of fun. Um, one thing that is a little different about this game, it plays one to five players. Uh, it's 10 ages, 10 and up, uh, board game 
Geek weights it at 2.27, so it's pretty approachable for the average gamer. Um, we played it with three people and with four people, and I think it took 45 minutes and an hour um, when we did that. And it, anyway, it was really, really fun. It's probably my favorite game that we're teaching at TimpCon this year, uh, which is the local uh, uh, board game con. And uh, yeah, I, anyway, I, I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to pick it. Um, and then um, the other thing, sorry, I'm trying to do two things at once. So I do have some stuff coming down the pipe. Um, it'll release around Black Friday. And so you'll be able to get discounted uh, memberships on top end devs um, as I release this stuff. Um, or before Black Friday, uh, as I get it out there. Um, I'm planning on charging a bit more than what the prices are going to initially be set to as I get it launched, right? Just so I can kind of shake it out, make sure that everything's going well for people who subscribe. Um, But yeah, it's going to involve weekly meetups, um, coaching, uh, the uh, podcast without the ads, um, bonus content so yeah we're gonna have all kinds of good stuff coming out uh so if you're interested in that go check out topendevs.com and uh yeah that, that's what i got this week uh yaro what are your picks i'm kind of out of the loop <laughs> just anything you like anything you've been watching on tv or any new technology you've been playing with or books you've been reading or whatever oh so uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I started learning to uh, sail on a catamaran. So oh, fun. Uh, that looks fun. Uh, if it qualifies as a big like uh, sailing, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that that sounds totally fun. And then, if people want to connect with you online, is YouTube where you want them to go, or is there a better place for people to? Uh, I mean, YouTube is uh, not very communicational, so it's most like uh, you're pushing mm-hmm. uh, you as a creator pushing like content to your listeners. But if you want to actually message me and like have a conversation, LinkedIn or Twitter are great places. All right, cool. If you want to put links to those in the comments as well, we'll make sure they wind up on the um, on the show notes and stuff. Okay, just a moment. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. It was good. It was good to meet you in Amsterdam last month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, folks. Until next time. Yeah, hopefully we will meet uh, in like Toronto next year, I guess. Yeah, that would be awesome. It's a little easier to get to, right, Valentino? A little bit. (laughs) Well, not for me. I need a visa. (laughs) Ah, true. Yeah, Valentino's in the Northeast somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll uh, catch you all later.